my title tonight, if you're taking notes, uh, it's the third week of Advent, and the um, title is A Child Called Peace. And if you're new to Advent, as I am, uh, this is my first time kind of really uh, using that word, but uh, when I grew up, I didn't even understand really what it was, but it's just a cool season that's on the church calendar. It happens every year, uh, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and it's a time that throughout, for the last uh, 1,600 years or so, Christians have been setting aside a time uh, to just remember the coming of Christ. It's a, a time that's full of hope. It's a time that's full of light. It's a time that's full of peace, and it's a lot about believing um, that God is doing amazing and beautiful things, even when we don't always have eyes uh, to see it. So my, uh, this is the third week, and my title is A Child Called Peace. One thing that's cool about Advent is there are uh, selected texts, these scripture passages that um, when you preach it, just knowing, to me this means something for some reason, uh, millions of churches all around uh, the world this week, in fact, today, are preaching from Isaiah chapter 9. So that's where we're going, Isaiah 9, verse uh, 2, and we're going to read through till verse 7. The prophet slash poet Isaiah, he says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's prophesying about Jesus. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, talking about the coming Christ, as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. Verse 4, for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as, one, uh, as on the day of Midian. Uh, for all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And finally, verse 7, his authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace. Uh, will you bow your head and let's pray? Uh, Father, we love you so much. Uh, we're so grateful to be here. Uh, we believe in you, and, and, and we are people who are on a journey, and we believe truly with our hearts that you are a God who comes um, and brings us hope and brings us peace, even in a world that's really dark in so many different ways, and even as um, a week like this has reminded us, it, sometimes it seems like the world is so incredibly, uh, frighteningly dark. We, we believe that you are the light of the world. We believe that you're doing something beautiful. And even when it seems like the darkness is winning, we still believe that the light is winning. And so we just come here uh, in these moments to celebrate you and to remember you. May you meet with us tonight, Lord. We just say thank you for that. It's in your precious son's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So the thing that I love about this scripture, if we could back up to verse 6, um, not only does this talk about how Jesus is the one who comes to bring us peace, these scriptures are really amazing, and Isaiah is really amazing, uh, in that he says one of the names of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I don't know about you, but I just feel like sometimes there's things that happen in the world um, that remind me... Um, how there's just evil at work. And I, I think this week, I think it, it, I'm sure y'all know, 
but we've, huffer, uh, we've suffered like a really horrendous um, week in a lot of ways, of course, the shootings um, in Four Hills. Uh, Ian Matthew, age nine, uh, Olivia Renee, age six, Elijah Ray, age five, uh, were all murdered. And of course, um, I believe their mom still remains in critical condition, Cheryl. But I just, sometimes I feel like violence ends up coming um, really close to me in a way that like reminds me how, um, uh, how numb I've become to violence as a whole. You know what I mean? Because like if you think about what happens um, in a community like this that for a lot of people really shakes them to their core, uh, I, I just also remember that it's like it happens all the time all over the place. And for, so, for someone like me, I think it's so easy to get to a place where I don't even realize um, it unless it's like really affecting me. I just think, I just think um, God can end up using situations that he's in no way behind, but he can use these situations, I think, to remind us about him and uh, the world that he's promised us in a lot of ways. And I think, I think it's an opportunity for us to see things clearly. Uh, in a lot of ways. I'll tell you one thing that I really hate about like the whole gun controversy. You guys know this is people, there are people who's like, well, maybe the problem is there's like too many guns or maybe there's like not enough guns or the right people didn't have the right guns or, you know what I mean? And there's like all of this arguing back and forth when it comes to the thing that I think uh, bums me out as a pastor in situations like that is it just robs us of our ability to respond with like real compassion. You know what I mean? Like to both, to both the um, oppressed and also the oppressor, which is what Jesus did, which in, in a situation like this seems so unbelievably difficult to think. But I think so often if we end up looking at the world and just filtering them through our own beliefs about how the world should be, we end up coming to tragedies with the posture of like, I told you so. You know what I mean? Where it's just, and, and people are just like thinking, well, this is the way that I was saying. And so, so instead of people seeing... Um, the fact that we're talking about real people, you know, and, and like when, when bad things happen in the world, that it's like real, honest, actual people, and it's not the time for us to be making uh, cheap points, you know, like the Bible is really clear to us that when really horrible things happen, that our response as followers of Jesus Christ, the first response is, is always to, to, do, to do this, uh, to weep with those who weep and to mourn uh, with those who mourn. But far too often, I see um, Christians oftentimes just mourning when it helps their point politically. You know what I'm saying? But, but when it doesn't help their point, they end up just being quiet. But then all of a sudden, it seems like so surprising that it's like one side cares so strongly, the other side is silent, and then something else happens, and the other side is silent, and one side all of a sudden begins to speak up. And I just think it's such a cheap excuse of like trying to actually care for people. Like we act like we care, but I think so often we end up just um, mourning when it helps our opinions. And, and I just think that this is one of those times, especially in a community like this, where we can just actually recognize that what we're talking about is real people. Instead of, instead of just looking at tragedies in the world to be a catalyst for what um, our points really are. And possibly I think even, even more tragic in a lot of ways, I think is, um, Christians who end up just having in situations like this where we suffer some immediate unbelievable tragedy where they just have some like this resignation that just things are going to get worse. You know what I mean? Where we just resigned ourselves to like, this is the way that it's going to work. And so like, you don't really have to worry about it because it's like, it's been prophesied in the Bible. And so, um, so Christians end up becoming the only people in the world where something terrible happens. And we are the people who say like, well, praise God, it's the last days. You know what I mean? Like we're the only people 
that can like celebrate um, when horrible things happen because we've confused ourselves in so many different ways to think that that's like somehow God's plan or somehow like what he um, is doing. I think that's a, 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 in a very real way why I've kind of stick, stuck my neck out when it comes to eschatology. It's a big word. just means the way this whole thing wraps up. How is this whole thing ending? I did a six-week series, I think, on the book of Revelation. I'm still kind of trying to uh, mend some of the relationships that were wounded during those six weeks, like a year ago. Um, people love, people love um, to find a God that looks like them. You know what I mean? And so, so I just think it's a, a lazy way. If, if, we, if all we think, we just look at the Bible and we think, well, what is going to happen? What God is promising us is to come back and just have this enormous bloodbath. It's just a convenient, re, it's a convenient excuse for Christians who want to be violent. You know, and, and I know there's a million different opinions there, but I just think that in a time like this, when something hits us to our core, and I do think that this one kind of has like really struck home in a lot of ways. Uh, of course, uh, the, the kids went to this uh, school, this elementary school, I think, that was just right here. And so there's people who uh, work uh, or go to this church who like work there. And so we've even just heard stories on how profoundly it has affected um, the, the teachers. So it's just a cool thing, just you guys should know. On Tuesday, we actually uh, took the, the church. There's like 75 teachers that work there. So we, we went over there on Tuesday and bought all the teachers lunch on Tuesday. So that was just like a cool thing that you kind of make possible in a way. But there's a lot of other really cr- uh, crazy connections that I see. Um, the three kids uh, were all on the same Little League team as my nephew. And the, the coach of the Little League team uh, was the dad who, was, who wasn't there. And so that's why all three kids were able to be on the same Little League team uh, as my nephew. And then my sister went to school uh, with the mom. And so she knew. So it's just so shocking, I think, in so many different ways when it really like hits home in a deep way. And I just think it's so easy for us to forget. And so it's a cool opportunity in uh, the season of Advent to just remember that Jesus comes to bring peace. You know what I'm saying? Like, he comes to bring peace. The Prince of Peace. Can we go to verse 7? It's amazing. He says, His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace. And the peace that Jesus comes to bring is completely different than the peace of the world. In fact, the Bible's really clear that the peace that Jesus comes to bring, when the world looks at it, they think it's foolishness. They think it's naive. They think, well, that'll never work when they think uh, of the peace uh, of Jesus because the world also offers peace. Do you know that? They also claim to offer peace. They just can't deliver. <laughs> like the, the world thinks that they can give us peace too. Uh, the world gives us peace in the form of wealth, in the form of power, in the form of security, but it just never seems like it um, produces the peace that it ends up uh, promising. And so I just think that both the world and the kingdom of God are both promising uh, this, that you can have peace, uh, but they're diametrically opposed in how they promise, uh, in, in how they are uh, to go about getting it. In fact, Jesus, when he leaves his apostles, he says this. He says, I'm leaving you with my peace, and the peace that I bring is not like the peace the world gives. It's a completely opposite. In fact, in the Bible, this is really what I want to talk about tonight. There's this amazing Hebrew word that's translated in our Bibles as peace, but it means so much more. Does anyone know the amazing Hebrew word? 
Shalom. That's right. So shalom is this amazing word. My next slide. Shalom means a lot of things, but it means mainly uh, peace with God, peace with others, and peace with uh, yourself. I was talking to my wife, Jordan, this past week because I knew this was the text. I knew Isaiah 9 was where I was wanting to go. I knew we were talking about the Prince of Peace, but I wasn't sure where I wanted to talk. And so I was trying to think, well, do I want to talk about like peace with God? Do I want to talk about like peace between people? Do I want to talk about kind of like having inward peace, like finding peace um, in who you are? And we were just talking about it and just kind of, I was praying about it and thinking about it. And it kind of just came to me that it's like, they're the same thing. You know what I mean? They're all like, they're all the same and they're all connected. Like having this peace with God, having this peace, peace with other people and having this peace with yourself that it's like all different sides of like the same coin. And if, if you lose one, the other two suffer. You know what I'm saying? Like oftentimes if you're not at peace with yourself, that ends up being like when you're violent, um, even in just word to uh, other people. Or if you don't realize, like, the peace that you have through Jesus, you're never going to be able to be at peace uh, with your neighbor. So what I want to do tonight, not a long message, hopefully, but I'm wanting to talk about the three different kinds of peace that Jesus promises, how unique they are, and kind of how they all relate um, to each other. That's the hope. Okay, so the first one that we're going to talk about is peace with God. I think this one is a little bit interesting. This is something that Jesus comes to bring. He comes to bring us peace with God. And it's interesting because this is the one, probably the only one of the three, that you already have it. Just the question is, do you know you have it? You know what I mean? Because like he's at peace. Do you realize this, that before you said any sort of sinner's prayer, anything, that there's already this amazing love story that has been progressing throughout the generations, God's amazing love uh, for you. And he already found a way to be at peace with you before you ever made peace with him. You know what I mean? He, he's, he's already uh, there. And people, people will go around and say something like this, like, I found God. And I understand what they're saying. You know what I mean? They're saying like they finally have that connection with God. But technically, it's not true. You know, like God found you. If you're in a relationship with him, like you, you didn't find God. Like you didn't find God. God comes and he finds, uh, he finds you. I just think of it like this. He's been chasing after you the whole time. And you were just one of the people who stopped running. You stop running for a little while uh, because it's not, you are not um, the initiator in the relationship. You know what I mean? Like he's the initiator. He comes and he pursues you and we're the people who just um, come and receive uh, his amazing love. Think about it like this. God doesn't need you to treat him well in order for him to treat you well. Like he doesn't need you to, and if you need a, if you need a scripture for that, may I point to the climax of the whole canon of scripture where Jesus is on the cross and he says this, father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And if you need to get a little context there, he's talking about his murderers while they are in the process of murdering him. And he says this, forgive them. They don't even know uh, what they're doing. And so I, I just think it's not us chasing after God. It's just it's just us stopping, um, stop, like, stop running. That's what, that's what we have done as we have encountered uh, God. And I just think it's important for us to know this because it's this peace, peace with God, where you realize how he treats you. This is like the fuel that fuels the other two. If you, if, like, you, don't, if you don't have this one, the other two are impossible. In fact, if you need an example of that, my point you to just the world <laughs> that cannot find peace with each other. And they cannot find peace within themselves because they don't have peace with God. He in everything is our example. 
So the only way that we understand how to treat our spouse, the only way that we understand how to treat other people, the only way we know how to treat ourselves is just because we see um, Jesus. And of course, I think most people in a room like this would know that. But the question is this, have you allowed that kind of idea to get like into the basement of your heart, like really deep to where it actually affects the way that you treat other people? Like, like honestly, I'll say this, and I'm a pastor, but probably only in the last five years have I let like my relationship with Jesus begin to bleed into my relationship with other people. You know what I mean? Like when you're talking to somebody else on the street, in your own house, like is the way that Jesus treats you, is that even anywhere in your mind at all? Because a lot of people are like, no, I think about it at church, but it's not, it's not like in this deep place that it instructs us how we're supposed to treat other people and even how we're supposed uh, to treat ourselves. because we just look at him and we just do it. Paul, Paul says it like this, be imitators of Christ. Just means this, look at what Jesus did and then do that. You know, like how did Jesus treat people? Well, treat them like that. How did, how did, Jesus, how did Jesus treat people who were mistreating him? Well, you do that. How did he treat his family? How did he treat his friends? How did he treat his neighbors? Just see how Jesus treated people and then you treat, him, uh, treat them like that. So peace with God. It's the fuel that fuels the other two. Okay, number two. This one might be challenging, but I think it's good and I think it's important. And I hope that in a season like this, you would have ears to hear it. Peace with other people. Uh, I think you can see this in the scripture is that throughout scripture, but especially in the New Testament, you can see that there's this incredible contrast between the way that the world does things and the way uh, that is um, the way of Jesus or the kingdom of God. There's this contrast always happening, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And they are, they are very, very similar. No, they're totally different. They are diametrically opposed to each other. They function completely different. Just a, a small example that I think is pertinent to the Christmas season, Luke chapter two, verse one through five, uh, Luke says this, in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus. Just remember him, okay? Uh, A decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Y'all know this story. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Verse 4, Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of Bethlehem. And finally, uh, he went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. I find it always fascinating. I know you guys all know these scriptures. I find it fascinating that whenever um, you see or hear about the teachings of or uh, the story of Jesus' coming, like the nativity story, the Bible always feels this really strong obligation to tell you that it was during the time of Caesar Augustus. Have you ever noticed that? It's not a super interesting way to start the story, but he always wants to tell you this, during the time of Caesar Augustus, during the time of Caesar Augustus. And of course, you probably know this if you know your historical theology, but Caesar Augustus, he was this powerful ruler, and what he really excelled at was oppressing God's people. He, oppressed, he, he was incredibly gifted at killing us, really. And you could see at the time, his face was on all of the coins with this tagline uh, under his name, the Son of God. 
they would say about Caesar Augustus. Uh, And so all throughout the uh, New Testament, you can see that there's this contrast between the way of Caesar and the way of Jesus, and the kingdom of Caesar and the kingdom of Jesus. I would like to share with you guys a uh, 2,000-year-old inscription. I've got a photo of it. We can go right here. This is 2,000 years old. I know what you're thinking. It's hard to read. And even if you could read it, you probably can't read Greek. So uh, I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to translate it. My next slide, it'll show you. This is what uh, it says. Uh, This is called the inscription of Prini. uh, And it says this, the day of his birth gave the whole world a new aspect. It would have fallen into ruin had not a widespread well-being shown forth through him. The one now born as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and establish all things. His birth marked the beginning of the gospel that he brought for the world. From his birth, a new reckoning of time must begin. So this was written in 9 BC about Caesar Augustus. Oh, you thought that was about Jesus. Uh, And it really makes the point that Jesus came into the world uh, in a time where the world already had a gospel. It had the gospel of Caesar. And you can see this tension throughout the entire New Testament. There's this constant sense of collision between uh, the Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome, and the Pax Christi, which is the peace of Christ. See, the people of Rome back in the day, they worshiped Caesar. And the reason is this, because he would bring peace on earth. And you might be thinking, really? Caesar, how how would he do that? The way that he would do that would be by killing everyone who opposed him. So he would, go, he would go and say this, well, we are the new superpower, and so what we need you to do, we want you to pay a big fat tax to us. We need you to worship me and pledge allegiance to only Rome. Can you do that? And if they could do that, that's great. And if they would not do that, well, then they would kill them. And so that would, that after a few generations of that, it produced something that would in some way resemble peace. But it was, it was a, a perverse kind of peace. Would you agree with that? It's not the real way uh, to peace. In fact, the historian Tacitus, he would say it like this. Rome makes a desert and calls it peace, which is just, he says, well, you wipe everybody out, and yeah, I guess there's no more fighting if you've killed all the people. Um, Just keep in mind that these are the Romans. These are the people who invented the cross. If you're thinking, their way sounds pretty good. They're pretty much the villains of the New Testament, so don't side with them. These are, the people who, these are the people who invented the cross that ended up killing Jesus and uh, the majority of the disciples. These were the people who felt like they needed a more cruel, torturous way uh, to execute people. But what's amazing is they would go around the people of Rome and they would say this, what we want is peace on earth. And I, I want you to just understand that they, they are, Rome is horrible, <laughs> and crazy in so many different ways, but they're just a tiny little microcosm of a system that has been going on generation after generation after generation after generation. I don't know if you know this, I just think it's part of the plight of humanity, which is we are a violent species. The most violent of all species. In fact, I think it's one of the things that makes us uniquely human is our unbelievable ability to kill each other. 
And I really think like the 20th century, if you could do a brief rewind of the 20th century, I think the 20th century will be known as the century where we um, perfected the art of killing each other without a lot of hassle. Like we, the, the technology that has been produced in the 20th century that has enabled people to kill each other is just absolutely uh, unbelievable. But it's just a part of this thing that has happened um, to humanity throughout. I mean, it very, the very beginning, violence comes. The fall comes, and instantly, you know what comes? Murder. Right away. Right away. Killing other people. Cain comes, and he kills his brother Abel. And every single generation after that, we just slaughter each other. Every single generation. And it leads us to this past Monday. Four hills, you know what I mean? Like, we have not stopped. We continue um, to slaughter each other. And so these are just a few facts. And let me, before I say these things, let me say that I've got some stats, but no one is responsible for all, like, no one person, no one nation, no one generation, no one superpower is responsible for this uh, stuff. So don't take it as that, but just understand the plight of humanity when it comes to the idea of Jesus bringing peace. Here we go. Where are we? Uh, here we go. Next slide. Over the past 5,000 years, there have been an estimated 14,500 wars, killing approximately 3.5 billion people. And this is the world that Jesus comes, and he comes to bring us peace. Next slide. Since the end of World War II, there have been approximately 250 wars, killing 23 million people, 90% being civilians, three out of four being women and children. Meanwhile, Jesus waits for us. Last slide. Today, there's over 15,000 nuclear weapons in the world. That's enough to destroy the human race 20 times over. And still, even in this situation, like this is still where Jesus comes to bring us peace. What's crazy is this is what we have been trying to do to bring us peace. And I'm not trying to harp on anybody. These are incredibly generic statistics. No one is the enemy here if we're not all the enemy. You know what I mean? But I'm just, I'm just saying this, that the, the world doesn't know how to do peace yet. Would you agree with that? Like the world, I mean, they're trying to do the peace thing and they think, but like we don't understand uh, peace. The world knows nothing about peace. Well, Jesus, who is named the Prince of Peace, he comes with a different kind of peace. He has a different um, idea than this. My next slide, Jesus doesn't bring peace through destruction. He brings peace through reconciliation. And that's not, that's not just talking globally. That's not just big picture. That, that's also like you. It's also like you and your own heart and, and, and how you uh, treat other people. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's you and your boss. Like if you'd really be able to like stick it to him, that somehow that would like bring peace to your heart. It's not the way of Christ. The way that Christ comes is he comes and he helps us to understand each other and to, to treat each other uh, with dignity. In fact, you can see in the life of Jesus, Jesus doesn't come and slaughter his enemies. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to come and kill their enemies. That's what they were hoping. The Messiah was gonna be a violent revolutionary who was gonna cut the heads off the Romans and free them from these wicked people. Jesus doesn't come and do that. In fact, Jesus comes and he, he allows himself to be slaughtered by his enemies, thus bringing peace. So here's the question, and I hope it like really... Um, sinks in. I know it's a challenging question, but I think it's just uh, time for it. Is this, does peace come through the way of Caesar or the way of Jesus? Just think about it. And, and just keep in mind that Jesus says this, you can't serve two masters. 
either you're going to love one and you end up hating the other, or you'll hate one and you'll end up uh, loving the other one. And, and, and I don't want this to just be big picture because I also think it has to do with you and your relationships and your posture towards the people. I, I think oftentimes we're the worst to the people that we're closest with. You know, ever notice that? Like, it's really easy for me to be really gracious towards all you people, but then like, take me home and I'm here with my wife. Well, that's when I'm the hardest. That's when I'm the worst. Like, my wife experiences the worst of me. So I don't, I don't know why um, that is, but, but I, I just want to, you to get this idea that it's like the world thinks that you obtain peace one way, and Jesus says you obtain peace another way. People with violence in their heart will always produce violence in their relationships. Why don't you just think about that? that there, there's people who have just this posture towards the world and towards other people that is just violent. And I'm not talking about like punching your boss. I'm, I'm just saying that it's like there's just this sharpness that can exist in all of us. And, and it can destroy the closest of friends. And it can destroy the best of marriages. It can destroy the best of relationships. When we have violence in our heart, it comes and it bleeds over into uh, our relationships. Uh, Jesus comes and he says this, hey, don't be too proud of the fact that you haven't murdered anybody. Because if you hate somebody, well, you're already guilty of murder anyway, is what he says. And so he does this really interesting thing where he goes and he takes the outward action and he turns it uh, and connects it with a state of your heart. And and so I I just think that as we learn to trust Jesus, do do you know what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord? We say this, you are the one who is the source of everything that I think and feel and do. Like, I trust you more than I trust my own idea. Like, you're God, and if you say it, that's what I'm going to do, because you're the boss here. And so as, as we find ourselves in this place where, like, Jesus is Lord, hopefully he's turning us, and, like, all of these sharp edges that we have in our own hearts that, like, wound our friends and wound, like, it just begins to smooth all that out, and we begin to be kind and generous and patient the same way that Jesus um, was. I, I can just tell, for me personally, it has made such a huge impact in my own life when I stopped trying to decide like who it was I was supposed to love and who it was I was supposed to hate. You know what I mean? Like when I just got like, okay, uh, I've read the Bible enough. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to love everybody. Like I can't tell you what that did for me, even in my own relationships. But it's like I'm just not, I'm, I'm not putting everybody on the scale to decide if like they're worthy of some, like I, I just love people. Like that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm here uh, to love people. And, and not, not to say that it's easy. It's not easy, but at least it's simple. At least you know you're supposed to love everybody. You know what I mean? Like we love all as Christ loves us. And, and so I just think that there's a way that we can understand the peace of God when it comes to our peace between peace, us and God, but also just this peace that needs to exist between us and other people. And our posture towards other people, um, how you can never separate that from your relationship with God. May, may, may the way that you understand your relationship with God be so real to you, be so real in your heart, that it actually affects the way you treat other people. Even and most difficultly, the people that you're closest with. Even the people that you spend all day with, and it's just so easy to just go off. May, may the peace of God come and transition into finding peace with other people. Lastly, number three is this, peace with yourself. I think it's probably quite possibly one of the hardest ones. Um, but, but I think that as Christians, something that I've really grown 
uh, in my desire to do is I just want to be able to look at myself and ask this question, in what way is um, the things, like when I see the things in the world, I can come and ask myself this question, what is it in me that contributes to this being possible? You know what I mean? Like maybe I hate, I can't stand all the hatred of the world. Well, then I can come and ask myself this question, in what way does that hate exist in me? Like maybe you hate all of the selfishness of the world. Well, then we come and we ask ourselves this, in what way does that selfishness exist in me? Thomas uh, Merton, he's one of my favorite. Oh, uh, I I love him. He's a Catholic writer, 20th century, early 20th century. He says this, um, he says, and I just think it's so brilliant. I've used this quote like a few times in here. So instead of loving what you think is peace, love others and love God above all. And instead of hating the people you think are war makers, hate the appetites and the disorder in your own soul, which are the causes of war. If you love peace, then hate injustice, hate tyranny, hate greed. Listen to this. But hate those things in yourself, not in another. I just think it's so amazing to be able to look at ourselves and realize that we are all the problem. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm so done pointing my finger at like public figures and thinking that that's like the problem here. And, and I've, I've learned to look at myself and think like, what is it in me? Um, like, what is it in me that's violent? And, and how can I change that? And instead of just pointing at the world all the time, I can also look at myself and honestly ask myself, what is it in me that contributes uh, to these things? Ephesians chapter two, verse 14. Paul says this, I think it's an amazing scripture. Talking about Jesus, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. I just think it's an amazing scripture. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Just an amazing idea that Jesus is our peace which is a weird statement. It's like hard, hard to think, like, how can he be our peace? The idea is this, when we surrender to Christ, when we say, like, Jesus, you are Lord. You're the boss. Everything, every idea that I have, like, is pretty much subject. If you have a different idea, I'm going to go with your idea. Because the way I, I don't know how to do this, but you know how to do this. You're Lord. You're the boss of my life. When we do that, the Bible talks about us being transported uh, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of uh, light. It's amazing. Uh, it's just an amazing idea that we're placed like, like our location changes. That the Bible actually says this. It's an amazing idea that we live in him. So our location changes. Greg Boyd, he's a pastor that I really like. He says it like this. When you surrender your life to Christ, um, you are given a new address. And your new address is this, in Christ. Like that's where you live. And so I just, it, this is an idea when it comes to peace. When, when it comes to you um, living with peace in yourself, just knowing this, that wherever um, you go in this life, great places, really hard places, really frustrating places. Just know this, that you're also in Christ, that that's also where uh, you are. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you have the capacity to experience the shalom of God in that situation. That's an amazing idea, but it's a true idea, is that the, the peace of the world would say this, as long as everything is fine, 
as long as your situation is cool, you can be at peace. But the peace of Jesus is this. You can be at peace all the time. Paul talks about it. He says this, that we have a peace that, experience, uh, that, that passes understanding, a peace that passes understanding. It, so like whatever that situation is for you, wherever it is in your life where you're like, something happens and part of you is saying like, well, it's time to freak out. You know, it's, yeah, I just feel like it's time for me to freak out. Like you don't have to because you're in the shalom of God. You're in this place where you're experiencing peace between you and God, peace between you and other people, and peace um, even just within uh, yourself because we have a different way. We have a different way of understanding peace. We have a different kind of peace. Don't you want, don't you want a peace that stays with you even when your circumstance changes? You know what I mean? Like, do you really want your peace to be that fragile and so skittish that, like, you're at peace so long as you know what I mean? You've got lots of money and everybody likes you. Like, do you really want to go through your whole life like that? Because you, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to this shalom peace that, that is there even when your situation changes, even when things are going up, even when things are going down. The world, the way of the world, the way of Caesar says this, as long as your circumstances are good, you can be at peace. But the way of God, the kingdom of God says this, that you can be at peace wherever you go. So here's the but. Are you ready? Here's the but. But you have to believe that about yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what you have to think, you have to believe that. Like there's so much of the Christian faith um, that has to do with you receiving that stuff. And I think this is, this is one of those things. The key, if you're taking notes, right, this big. The key, the key to all of this, the key to experiencing the shalom of God is found in Isaiah chapter 26, uh, verse 3. It's an amazing scripture. Some of you know it. It says this, talking about God, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's an amazing scripture. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If I were to translate this version, the, the David version. It would say something like this, my next slide. When your mind is focused on the things of God, you will experience God's peace. And that's just, that's just like the truth. So, it, so if you spend all week focusing on the things of the world, and then you're so shocked that you're freaked out all the time, we have solved the mystery. You know what I mean? It's because you don't think about the things of God. Like the Bible will tell you that over and over and over that there's a mind that's focused on God will experience peace and a mind that is focused on the things of the world will experience death. In fact, Paul says this, to be, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded is peace. And so, so I think that there's a lot of people, even people in this room, because I know the stories, there's a lot of people that have gone through unbelievable um, suffering. And, and because of their suffering, suddenly they find themselves uh, to be a person of prayer. You know what I mean? Because things are going bad. And suddenly they find themselves to be a person of the word because things are going so bad. And in those moments, even sometimes when it seems like really dark, you can experience unbelievable peace that you never thought you would have uh, before. And the reason is this, is that you have begun in your mind, even in a small way, to think about the things of God. Like, like do, you th do you think about the things of God more than on Sunday? Because it has, it has a lot to do with how you see the world. And, and, and if, if, like, think about your life as a pie chart. 
You know what I mean? Like, these are all the things that I think about throughout the day. And honestly, if you were to ask yourself this question, like, what percentage of those have anything to do with God? And if the answer is 4%, then you know, then I can tell that you don't, I I already know that you're not going to be a person of peace. I just just know that. Um, Because, because the world, I guess you'd say it like this, the world is a variable. The world is going up. The world is going down. You all remember variables, math, N plus two. I didn't do that right, right? <sighs> Variable, it can, sometimes it can be one, sometimes it can be seven, sometimes it can be elephant. You know what I mean? But a variable is always changing. You don't know what the variable is, and that's the world. The world is a variable. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's middle. And so if you're always putting your, if you have your eyes on a variable, your life is going to feel like this all the time. Because the world's a variable. But Jesus is a constant. So he stays the same. Same yesterday, today, forever, y'all know that scripture. And so when you put your eyes on Jesus, he, he levels, there's these scriptures that talk about like the, the high, the mountains will be leveled and the low places will be brought up. That like life in Jesus can come and it can be, it can be more straight if you, if you look to the things of God. Um, and I just think that that's where you have to find peace. I know it's, it's hard because it's like, darn, so you're saying it's my fault. Yeah, pretty much. That, that people who don't experience the things of God aren't, or people who don't think about and don't meditate on the things of God aren't going to feel the peace of God because that's where he gives it to you. I love this quote, C.S. Lewis. He says this, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Say it again. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So um, we're, we're going to take communion, as, as you know, we usually do. We're going to prepare for that. But I just have these, uh, this next statement, and I want you to think, if, if you want to think about the world, you can, but I'd rather you just think about yourself and your own heart and your own life. Um, but my next slide, the single defining characteristic of the kingdom of the world is violence. And the single defining characteristic of the kingdom of God is peace. Shalom, it's peace with God, peace with others, and peace with yourself. In fact, um, Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Above all, I, lo- I love this, is a great thing to say. He's saying more than anything, more than any of the other things. I say, Paul, this, I say a lot of things, but over all the things, more than any of the other things that I say, I just want you to, to do this. So he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I love that. Paul, Paul comes and he says this. After all of these things that I've said, what I want you to do is this. I want you to live in love with each other and I want you to find peace. May you be a person who finds Shalom. In this season of Christmas where there's so many different things that are happening in so, such a wild world and you're about to get ready to spend lots of time with family. I know some people that's amazing, some people that's really hard. I just want you to open your heart to this idea that there is a peace that God has for you if you will receive it. I think of it like this. It's probably a weird analogy, but when you think about your, you know, things in your mind, Word pictures are always kind of cheesy, but I picture myself like when I go, um, everywhere I go, I feel like I have um, 
like this bubble around me that like my love can go out to people and I can touch people, but there's also like this protective barrier that's around me that keeps me in peace. And, and I, I'm no master of ministry, but I can tell you this, without that feeling of I'm gonna go here and my peace is not gonna be disrupted, there's, I couldn't do it. Because there's times when I'll go and I'll go and I know what I'm about to experience is, is a person dying. And, and just when I first started ministry, it just used to wreck me. I, just, I could never, there was just such this vulnerability where people are taking their last breaths or maybe they just had taken their last breaths. And so you're there. And, and I just imagine when, I, when I'm driving to those places, I just imagine myself being in this thing, which is like just the peace of God that's just there with me. It doesn't stop me from touching other people, communicating with other people, but it does protect me uh, from my peace getting stolen because I'm, I'm in Christ everywhere I go. Maybe, maybe today I'm at Presbyterian Hospital. Maybe this day I'm leading a Bible study at the jail, but I am still in peace. This is where I am. I'm living in Christ, living in his peace. But that only happens when you start to consider, um, when you start to consider like the things of God. I have three questions for you as we take communion. Um, I think they're challenging. I hope, I hope you appreciate them. Number one is this. Am I willing to lay down my opinions and take up the opinions of Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, like what, if, what if Jesus has a way of doing something and you have another way? Like, who wins? And, and if the answer to that question is no, well, then you're not a Jesus follower yet. And that's okay. Um, but part of what being a Jesus follower means is that you allow him to be Lord of your life and you allow his ideas to be more important uh, than your ideas. And so maybe if you're not at a place where you're not willing to lay down your opinions and take up the opinions of Jesus, may this Advent season be a time for you to rethink your life. The world will always think the way of Jesus is foolish but to us who are being saved, we believe it's the power of God. And so he's our Lord. Number two is this. In what way do my thoughts and actions contribute to the violence in this world? And again, we're not talking about big capital V violence. We're talking about maybe like that sharpness on the inside of you. What, what, is, what is it on the inside of you that goes and wounds uh, other people? It's a cheat sheet. Think about the people you're closest to. What, what is it on the inside of you that goes and wounds other people? That's the violence on the inside of you. That's the way of the world. And Jesus wants to come and replace that with the way of self-sacrificial love. I'll tell you, for me personally, like I've known for a long time that I am somebody, probably just because I talk so much, Mom. Uh, I have a, an ability um, to wound people well with my words. I can, you could talk to my wife about it sometime. If you ever feel like you have to be in a marriage with somebody who can wound with your words, talk to Jordan <laughs> because I'm very clever and conniving. Um, but, I, but hopefully as I've learned to follow Christ more and more and more, gradually entrusting my life to him, I'm learning to like lay down um, the violence that lives on the inside of me and pick up the peace of Jesus where I can, where I can, um, I can let it rest you know what I mean? Like we're fighting and I thought of something mean to say and I don't say it because I'm not violent, because I'm peaceful, because I, because I endeavor to be at peace with other people. Um, uh, Henry Nouwen, 
uh, I love him. You all know him. Uh, He says this, did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? These are the real questions. I must trust that the little bit of love that I sow now will bear many fruits here in this world and in the life to come. So that's question number two. In what way do my thoughts and actions contribute to the violence of this world? And lastly, number three is this. Where do I need to grow in my ability to keep my eyes focused on Jesus? Where do I need to grow in my ability to keep my eyes focused on Jesus? And I would just love, in this moment, it's just a tiny, tender little moment, but look honestly at your own life. Look honestly at your information consumption pie chart. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. Think about it. Technology is so great. I, I, love, I love technology. It has some challenges, but one thing that I love about technology is that if you are somebody who wants to be in the things of God all the time, you can be. Like, I, I'm always listening Audible. It's a, they do audiobooks. They just did this big sale, half off on all. The, so I loaded up. I spent a bajillion dollars yesterday on audiobooks, all Christian audiobooks, because I want to be somebody who always has the Word of God going in on my head all the time. Like I want, I want to be somebody who is thinking about the things of God more than the things of the world. But man, it, but but if you're just always thinking about other things. Um, that peace isn't going to come. And I'll, I'll honestly tell you, like, I'm not perfect, but I read, the, I read and listen to the Bible every day. Every day. And it has slowly begun to affect the way that I see other people. And now when I see my wife and I'm stark, raging, mad, Jesus actually pops up into my head. Isn't that great? What a great success. What a great place to be that I actually think about Jesus and I think about what Jesus would do here. I went years as a Christian without ever inviting him into that deep place uh, in me. But it's come with a commitment to keep my eyes focused on the things um, of God. So just keep those up. I hope that's a a good challenge for you. We're going to pass the communion elements, and then we'll take communion together. Here we go.
as we receive communion tonight, I just um, was reading uh, the Psalms a little bit this past week, and I just thought it was appropriate um, for kind of where I'm at in a lot of ways and where I think a lot of people in our communities are at. This is Psalm 46. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Um, I'll read it, and then we'll pray and take communion together. Psalm 46. I don't have it on the screen. I just wanted you to hear it. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So Jesus Christ, tonight we come before you. Back to your table. Um, This place that I think is just such a pure place for me to remember who I am and how much you love me. None of us deserve to be here, but we are here to meet with you. We're so grateful. We're all so broken in so many different ways, but you invite us to your table all the same. And we say thank you. We come once again and say that we need you and that you are Lord. This is the confession. You are Lord. You're the Lord of my life. And I'll follow you. No matter how scary, no matter how hard, no matter how frustrating, I'll follow you. More than any other thing in the world, I follow you. And Lord, just as St. Francis said, make me an instrument of your peace. May I be somebody who brings light into dark situations. May I be somebody who brings hope where there's despair. We believe that you have brought us peace with you, peace with others, and peace with ourselves. So we receive that tonight. And we say thank you. And we receive you. And to you, my brothers and sisters, tonight I believe Jesus is saying this. This is my body that's broken for you. And this is my blood that's poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat the bread and drink from the cup together. So, Father, tonight I just want to say a quick prayer also for the people in our community. Uh, A family that has suffered so unbelievably in such a profound way. Father, we believe that there's not a single place where we could ever go that you aren't there for us. 
And so we believe as these lives were taken, Father, we believe you were just on right on the other side. And for the people that are still uh, hurting here, the mom, the dad, the family, the friends, we believe that your peace that passes understanding would be with them to keep their hearts safe. Come healing. Come healing of broken hearts. We say thank you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Everybody said.